welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. Tom, how's it going this morning? Good, how are you doing? I am doing well, excellent, thank you. Um, You are an assistant professor of criminal justice in the Department of Political Science, is that correct? Yes. Now, you don't come from too far away. You were able to get your PhD at the University of North Dakota, is that correct? Uh, North Dakota State University. North Dakota State University. So you're up in Fargo then? Yep. I guess, what do you think of Vermilion? You're kind of just directly pretty much straight south, right? Yeah, straight south, about five hours. Um, South Dakota is a lot like North Dakota. Um, people have been telling me the the, war- the winters will be a little warmer here, so I'm looking forward to uh, um, not exactly less shoveling, but maybe less wind chill. <laughs> no, that's that's true. You know, it's funny. We usually have that problem with faculty. I feel like they come up here, you know, and they we have to make sure they have a winter survival gear, right? I mean, that that's the nice part about you. You you know all about that. Um, now, I, I guess I should ask, what is your particular teaching interest? I mean, you're a new faculty member. Um, what, what is your area of expertise in? Well, really my area of ex- expertise is policing or policing issues um, in the United States. Um, I do teach a corrections course this semester, but I kind of naturally get gravitate towards those policing topics. You know, why is that? What do you think, um, you know, I guess during your academic career, what about this area in particular really drew you? Um, basically just the police occupy a really interesting position within society. On one hand, they are the public. On the other hand, they are supposed to police the public. So there's an interesting power di- dynamic there um, that really um, intrigues me, and I just kind of want to get to know that a little bit more and research topics within that. Um, you know, of course, you know, issues about police always come up in the news, um, particularly lately just with, you know, issues of police misconduct, police shootings. Um, it's, you know, caused, I, I think, you know, a, a national conversation about these issues, how we go about policing. People obviously always make comparisons um, to maybe other countries and how they do policing there. Um, I, I don't know if you can maybe just give us a, a kind of basis of, you know, some of the police misconduct that we see now, maybe why it's so prevalent in the news, why it's drawn focus um, today. And you know, has police misconduct, I guess, gotten worse, or is, is it kind of always been you know, a, a problem, you know, whether it's severe or not? It, it, you know, is it, is it, I don't want to use the term normal, but I mean, is police misconduct that we see today, I guess, dramatically different or larger than maybe what we saw 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago? Yeah. So. Police misconduct has always existed. You mentioned the media. Um, They are great in uncovering facts about police and and police misconduct. But like I said, police misconduct has always been an issue, um, even from the inception of the police. Um, You know, going back into the 1800s, I don't mean to go back that far, um, but going back, there was very little accountability. Um, They were basically sent out onto their beats Um, after hearing a short speech from their supervisor and they wouldn't see their supervisor again. Um, This led police to often hang out in bowling alleys and saloons. You weren't able to keep track or tabs on them. Um, But police misconduct has uh, basically been around since the inception. I, I think you just see more of it in the news because of new types of police accountability. Police accountability is a relatively new phenomenon. Even though police misconduct has existed forever, 
police accountability really didn't come around until the 1950s and the 1960s when police departments started implementing formal policies to keep track of these police officers. Um, and then nowadays you see more accountability mechanisms like body cameras, citizens using their own personal cameras, um, and that coupled with investigative journalism um, maybe makes it seem like it's more prevalent. You know, I, I think that that is an interesting you know aspect of it. How technology maybe has changed this issue, and I mean, you just you, know, you think about it. I mean, someone can testify to an incident that may have occurred. They may even you know have physical injuries that that prove an injury has has happened or or, or an incident has occurred, right? But it's a lot different when when you can see it, when you with your own two eyes can can see the the incident. Maybe not the full you know even lead up to the events of what happened, but there's just a different kind of visceral reaction to it. Um, I also think it's interesting that there's kind of almost, I wouldn't say kind of perverse impact, but right, the more trying to accountability that we have sought, you know, it's unfortunately maybe, uh, you know, caused even more damage to the reputation of police, right? I mean, obviously we need police in our society, right? And, you know, I think what police would say, you know, to, to defend themselves, it's like nobody likes the police until you need a police officer, right? And then, and then you want one as soon as you can have one. Uh, what is the, I guess, correct role, and how do police maybe police themselves um, when it comes to issues like accountability? There are a number of different ways police um, can hold themselves accountable, both within their organization and outside the organization. Um, just for example, one of them is supervision of police officers. Um, I've read reports of police officers, um, patrol officers, not talking to their supervisor for weeks or the whole shift. Um, supervisors not coming to calls when um, police officers need them. Um, supervisors not uh, reviewing incidences of use of force. So uh, normalizing supervision of police officers is one way we can increase accountability. Um, for example, if an officer uses force against someone, that incident should be reviewed to make sure it was within policy. Um, so besides supervision, having policies actually helps as well. There are many police departments nowadays that don't have a use of force policy um, that guide um, arrest through use of deadly force. So simply adopting policies can change officer behavior and holding them accountable. Um, and there are a number of other ways we can hold the police accountable within the organization, supervision, and policies are, are two big things. What about, and we talked about this a little bit before, I mean, what about body cameras? I think so much is made of, of you know, this technology. Um, I, I think it's one of those where it seems maybe like a, the easiest solution on face, right? But it probably is one that causes now um, a whole host of other questions, right, uh, um, that, that need to be raised. Is that going to be a standard practice? I mean, you know, 15, 25 years from now, do you think every police officer will have a body camera? Um, I don't think every police officer will have a body camera um, in 15 to 20 years, but um, that's just a speculation. The reason being is uh, many police departments are small rural police departments. The majority of police departments have less than 10 people that don't have misconduct or accountability issues. Um, but I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the large urban police departments 
start adopting body cameras um, quicker, not only to protect citizens, but it also protects police officers as well. Well, and I, I think that's the other argument, right, is that it, it sort of cuts both ways. Um, you know, the other issue that you think about is just more surveillance, right? It, it's That has issues with, with you know, due process and rights that, that people have. I mean, these are thorny, sticky subjects. How do, and I, I'm not asking, I guess, you to solve it, but what do you think is a is a way that we can balance, you know, both the rights of the accused, um, the safety of police officers, right, who we ask to, you know, involve themselves in, in often pretty difficult situations. I mean, are, is there a good way to make these kind of what ultimately end up being judgment calls? Um, that's a good question. And I think it, you know, I think a number of different things have to happen to, to, to find that balance. I think that um, the media all, the media often presents sensationalized stories of very dramatic instances of police work that gives the public kind of a distorted view of what the police do um, and some of the negative things that can happen. So maybe presenting first off a balanced view of police work, um, reporting some good things from time to time, um, but at the same time giving police officers uh, more training um, implementing these accountability mechanisms. One of them that I didn't mention was an early intervention system to track possibly problematic behavior of police officers to try to flag them before something more serious happens. Um, that coupled with training, coupled with some of these external uh, ways of holding the police accountable, I think you may see a balance of protecting um, uh, people's rights and police powers. One of the difficult things is with body cameras is their their ability to turn them off um, at certain times, and and that is that is needed at times. There are some sensitive topics that you know the police don't want the public to know happened to a victim, um, things right. like things like that. So there are a lot of I don't have a definitive answer, but there are a lot of kind of muddy areas in that question. You know, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, I, I think his name was David Brown, the Dallas police chief. Um, there was a, you know, shooting that, that occurred. And I think most, I think it was five officers were gunned down um, who were, you know, kind of observing and protecting a, a, a protest in large part, I think that was actually directed maybe at police. Um, and, you know, his thought after the, the incident was just that you, as a society, we maybe ask police to do too much, right? We ask them to be obviously law enforcement officers, but we ask them to, in a lot of situations, go in and resolve um, domestic disputes. Um, you know, I, we ask them to be maybe drug counselors. We ask them to be, um, you know, look after delinquent kids sometimes. I mean, do we as a society, have we pushed maybe too many problems onto the police force? Yeah, I think there's the notion of, like, if, if you have something, if you have a problem and you don't really know who to call, the, the police are that general service. But at the same time, um, that is one of the police's main responsibility, social service. Um, you know, they, they provide social service, they provide um, crime control, they provide... Um, the, you know, it's, it's kind of that question of who else, you know, would we um, uh, have work with the police to fix these? And there are answers to that. 
Um, many police departments will take uh, sort of an informal approach to policing and work to solve underlying problems in communities. That might involve working with social services or a job placement program to not always arrest somebody, um, but to, to get them help. So although the police are often the first uh, service that people call, there are other resources available to them right. to help. Um, but but I, I, I think that, yeah, sometimes we expect the police to handle a lot. You know, you talked about the way the media sometimes sensationalizes, um, you know, issues both ways. They, they maybe sometimes sensationalize the magnitude of crime. Other times they maybe sensationalize the amount or specific abuse that has maybe occurred in a particular in incident involving police misconduct. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, through your research and your study, is there a misconception about policing that you had kind of going into your research or that you think maybe like people have due to television shows, they watch too much Law & Order maybe or something like that, where if they really got, you know, you know, did a ride along with the police officer, they might view differently? Yeah, I think, you know, you spoke a little bit about the TV shows. Oftentimes every crime is like 100% clearance rate on those, on those TV shows. Not every crime is solved by the police. Some clearance rates are actually pretty low, especially when you look at property crime. So they're, they're not out there solving every crime. Um, they're not out there every day driving their cars very fast and pursuing people. More agencies these days are putting restrictions on when police agencies can carry out a pursuit. Um, through my research, I'm surprised almost every week about how uh, different findings within, within police and how their job is not always as straightforward as it is on um, in research or TV. Um, you know, uh, another area of research of yours is rural policing. Obviously with your experience in North Dakota, now you're here um, in South Dakota. I mean, through my own you know, kind of experience in different positions that I've had, I've had the opportunity to, to speak with law enforcement officers and understand some of the challenges I think that they face, especially when you look at issues like in West River and you know, reservation communities where just the geographic distance is just, it is so spread out, and oftentimes the you know, number of people they have is relatively small to cover those areas. I'm curious, what are the, other than maybe geography, what are those particular challenges that rural police fa forces um, face as they do their jobs? You kind of mentioned one of them, um, staffing. They just don't have the amount of people that maybe they would want to um, traverse those sparse geographic um, areas. Um, staffing is one of them. Funding is another one. You know, to get more staff, you have to have funding. Um, technology is, is an issue in rural police departments. Um, I've heard of police de rural police departments keeping track of their calls on just a notepad um, and then updating a notepad throughout the day or the week. Um, so staffing, technology um, are our main issues um, in rural in rural agencies. We've, we've sort of discussed earlier maybe kind of this divide between rural policing and, and urban policing. Are, you know, rural police treated a little bit differently than, than urban police? Is there more accountability because there's more media um, in, in an urban area? I could also see the perverse way, though, where it's like everybody knows you if you're in a small town. So, you know, people look to law enforcement, I think, as being, you know, upstanding members of the community, leaders in the community. What are some of the challenges just from a social perspective that, that you know, 
policing, um, I guess, puts on officers. Yeah, it's interesting. Most of the research centers on large urban departments, um, but the interesting thing is, is that most departments are very small agencies in the United States. And when you look at these rural police departments, you often find an informal way of policing, whereas ur large urban departments take a more formal approach to policing. And that has a lot to do with the community dynamics. Um, as a citizen in a small town, you're more likely to know who the police officer is, and the police officer is more likely to know who you are. So if you do get in trouble, or from the perception um, of the police officer, you can't, sometimes you can't comfortably uh, police the way you would in a large urban department because you might see that person the next day. Um, that kind of speaks to the way police are held accountable in small rural departments. You can make the argument that police are held more account accountable in small rural departments because there are less of them and they are kind of watched um, in, with a different perception um, from the community members. Um, you know, maybe what's the biggest challenge that you see police face that maybe someone without a lot of experience um, just would not understand, you know, the, 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 the type of problem that they might face on a daily, on a daily basis? I think you mentioned this earlier, balancing people's rights um, is is one of the unique challenges that I, I often think of a lot within policing. Um, I often also think about how in the current age of police accountability, um, them thinking about their actions more um, before they carry out their job. Um, I'm gonna ask you to maybe kind of draw more towards the conclusion. You know, at this point in your life, you know, you're a new teacher. I think you're embarking on a new career. It's obviously exciting. Just kind of getting your, your feet under you, I, I think, here. What do you know for sure? What do I know for sure? Yes, this is an Oprah question. So it's coming down. It is philosophical in nature, so. About my topic. About well, no, just about, it could be about your topic. It could be about life. Um, what I know for sure is that I believe I am in a good position to succeed here at USD. I feel really good about the community members, uh, the, my colleagues in the Department of um, Political Science and Criminal Justice are very supportive and they're always making sure I have everything I need and everything I need to succeed. Um, so this, this move for my family and I has been very big and intimidating and it's only five hours away from Fargo, but you know, it's, it's a new place. Um, with a new job and a new environment. So what I know for sure is that um, my colleagues are great. USD feels like a good fit for me. Well, Tom, we're happy to have you here at USD. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grades. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 